0: All right. Uh, Well, today we're going to start a new series um, through the book of Colossians. So if you'd like to open the book of Colossians in the Scripture, and uh, when we think about how our lives are changed by Jesus, we open up the Bible and we see all sorts of real life examples of people who were there in the time the Bible was written, contending with different challenges and moving forward in faith, sometimes in the midst of really significant challenges. The book of Colossians helps us know how it is that Jesus changes us and why Jesus is the one to follow. Um, so as we go through this study, we'll, we'll discover and in essence rediscover the glory of Jesus and also see the pathway of how following him actually changes life. All right? So that's what, our, well, that's what we're aiming at. And I'd like to just read the introduction of the book to you today. So go to Colossians chapter 1 and we'll read the first 14 verses says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother, Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God, our Father, give you grace and peace. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as your lives were changed from the day that you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all of his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Some really encouraging words there, wouldn't you agree? That here, as this church has never met Paul personally, Paul's just hearing reports. He just says, hey, I want to encourage you. I see the, the way that Jesus has changed you, and I want to affirm your faith. Now, there are some reasons Paul was writing to this particular church about this particular topic. We're gonna to look at those in just a minute. But I want to call your attention first to what I think of as kind of a key verse for the whole book of Colossians, it's, it's verse six. It talks about the same good news, that is the fundamental gospel of Jesus, that Jesus' life-changing um, influence in our lives, the fact that Jesus died on the cross, rose again to save us from our sins, like that truth about Jesus, that good news came to you, it's going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives. It's kind of like Paul is saying to this church, hey, we know there's stories all around the world of God at work, but don't forget, God is working in you. Like, your life has a testimony. You've been changed by the gospel. And as a result of that, God is getting praise. And so, when you heard the good news, when, when you heard about God's wonderful grace, you were changed. Don't forget that. Okay, then we go up to verse 1. And we will kind of walk through this now in order. This letter's from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother, Timothy. Remember, Paul was mentoring Timothy. Timothy was one who, when he was about 16 years old, was noticed by the apostle Paul during one of his missionary journeys. And Paul actually said, I want to bring that kid with with us. And Timothy became a protege of Paul. So those of you in the room who are about 16, you think, wow, Timothy, I mean, he had it together, right? The apostle Paul rolls through town, and Timothy actually volunteers, and he ends up heading off on the missionary journey with Paul to be trained um, by the apostle. So pretty neat. So Paul and Timothy are writing this book together. When it's written, we'll find out later in the text, Paul was actually in prison in Rome. So probably the way that the book was actually delivered was through Timothy, who wasn't in prison at that time. And here's where it went. For those of you geographers out there, uh, it went to the city of Colossae. Okay? So Paul's writing from Rome up in the corner to this church in Colossae. And really, when you look at that map, most of the biblical narrative, Old and New Testament, happens on that map. Uh, there's, you see Jerusalem down in the other corner. The, the, most of the work in the book of Acts, most of the New Testament is on that map. So it's this part of the world where a lot of the biblical activity happens and where the first churches were planted and, you know, many of the New Testament letters are written to those churches. So what was going on in this city that that particular church needed a letter? Okay, so let's think about that for a moment. Here's a little bit of background. There were empty philosophies, we'll come to that in a second, circulating among the Colossians, mixtures of Greek philosophy, spiritualism, and Jewish legal customs, and they were being promoted as essentially upgrades to Christianity. So you have to kind of get in the mind space of where these people were. A lot of them were new Christians. In fact, essentially all of them were first-generation Christians. And so they didn't have a lot of background. There weren't, there weren't you know seminaries or whatever to teach the deep things of the faith. Everybody was new. And so they would hear the gospel. They would believe in Jesus. But then as other teachers would come along, they didn't exactly know which ones to believe and which ones not to believe. So it was pretty easy to get confused. It's still easy to get confused that um, not a whole lot has changed. But in this case, there weren't any established believers to kind of say, hey, that doesn't sound right. That's not what the Bible says. They, just did, they didn't have that background. So empty philosophies, well-crafted arguments starting to come into the church and confusing people about the obvious truth of Jesus. They're starting to think, you know, we heard the 1.0 of Christianity, but now there's, yeah, maybe there's higher knowledge. Maybe there's more to this. Maybe we need to Maybe we need to get on board with some of these philosophies, and so there's a lot of confusion out there um, in Colossae, and Paul is writing to say, hey, it's time for you to be reintroduced to Jesus, but Jesus is supreme. Jesus is the one to put your faith in. These other philosophies are there to confuse you, but you need to stay centered on your faith, all right? If you look at chapter 2, verse 1, kind of see an example here of Paul writing just right out of his heart to try to help this church that's getting confused, He said, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church of Laodicea and for the many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan. That is, you're not living in this shadow of doubt thinking, okay, I, I, maybe I haven't heard the whole story. Maybe there's more. Maybe there's some list of rules I need to follow somewhere. Maybe there's some you know, spiritual truth I have to unlock somehow. Paul says, no, I want you to know the gospel you have is it. That is the truth. Don't doubt it. He says, in, uh, in, in Christ himself, in him, in Jesus, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So whatever deeper thing you're seeking, whatever higher plane of spirituality, it's, it's in Jesus. Look to him. Don't look in these other places. So I am telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. So this church, it wasn't like they hadn't veered off course yet exactly, but they might, right? I mean, there was a lot of confusion there. Go down to verse 8. He says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. We still have that today? Quite a bit, right? Actually, the problem today is it's actually hard to know what is high-sounding nonsense, what it, almost everything seems like it is, right? So, so how do you discern? It says that, that those things come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. In other words, this church who's thinking they've missed something, who's thinking there's more to the story, says, no, no, in Jesus, you will find everything you need. Everything that God wants you to know, it's all in Jesus. Everything about who God is, you're not going to find it through mysticism, you're not going to find it through ancient customs, you'll find it through Jesus, okay? So there's that, that helps us kind of orient, that's what this book is going to teach us, why is it in Jesus, why is Jesus supreme, and then what will it actually look like, okay? So the other things that were happening in Colossae, which weren't unique to that specific place, but in this, this time of uh, Roman Empire and the first century church, The Colossians were also facing rising persecution. Remember last year around this time we did a series through the book of 1 Peter and we looked at what that persecution actually meant and how tragic and terrible things were for Christian believers under the reign of Nero and the persecution that he brought. So they're under that pressure and that's kind of, even if they're not personally under threat, you know, it's always in mind. Like their freedom is kind of being taken away and they know that there's always a pressure point there, there's always... A potential for something to go wrong. They're also dealing with the second thing there, the overall decadence, idolatry, and culture of, Im- culture of immorality that defined the Roman Empire. So at this time, the Roman Empire was kind of sort of at its, one of its apex moments. They were, things were going well from a political perspective because they had lots of wealth, they'd conquered most of their enemies, They had the Roman citizens had brought in vast numbers of slaves to serve them. And so if you were a Roman, you were probably doing pretty well. If you were anybody else, you probably weren't. Um, But here in the city of Colossae, say this is a place where they're they're living on the, the wars that had been fought before them. They're living on the wealth that had been generated by the generations before them. And so it just had become kind of a loose, decadent place not a, not a strong sense of right and wrong, lots of idols to worship, and in many ways, not all that different from right now for us, where everybody could kind of construct their own faith plan and just do what they want, live the way they want. Um, so if you're a new Christian in that environment, you realize, wow, there's going to be a lot to learn. Um, and so it doesn't help that there's confusing heresies floating around as well at your church to mess up even further the things that you're already under pressure um, and then, of course, there's young church issues. Lack of trained leaders, lack of established Christian moral virtues. So if you were a new believer in the city of Colossae, maybe you'd been won to Christ by a Epaphras there who planted that church, and you're starting to follow Jesus. But if you think about where are you starting from, you're starting from that culture, so you might, you might not just, for example, you might not only have one wife, if you're a guy, you might have had multiple wives, or maybe, you're, maybe you owned slaves, maybe you were a slave, and so all of a sudden, you become a Christian, and you have to figure out, now hold on, how do I live for Jesus? I'm coming out of a huge mess, okay? So Colossians helps straighten some of that out, it helps give us, gives us direction for how we walk as Christians, starting from uh, that big mess, I was thinking about the young church issues that they faced, thinking, you know, of course there's old church issues as well, right? We're probably more familiar with those in the U.S. and in the West in general. Uh, Old church issues would be people, you know, think they they know everything they need to know, so they stop learning. Or old church issues might be people just get kind of lethargic or everybody just kind of assumes it's all okay and they stop working for anything. Who knows? You know, there's old church issues, there's young church issues. This church was all brand new. And so for them, this letter um, would have been really helpful because no one had given them the truth in this kind of a lined up way before. So as we go through it, here's some of the questions I hope we'll find answers to uh, moving forward. First of all, why is Jesus supreme and why is his way best? How do I build my life on him? How will he transform my heart? Where should I focus my attention? What will it mean to follow Jesus in my family or my community or my work life? In every aspect of who I am, how will this Christian faith impact me? Um, So my hope is that in the weeks ahead, as we walk through verse-by-verse Colossians, you'll be able to come out on the other side of this study with answers to those questions for you, and that you'll have in your heart a renewed commitment to Jesus as your Lord and a sense of how it is that you're going to follow him. Okay, so as we just look at the first few verses here, I wanted to call your attention a few of the encouragements that Paul gave to this church, because okay, they're about to get a lot of instruction, but it always helps to start with some encouragement. So here it goes. First reminder he gives them is your expectation of what God has reserved for you in heaven. If you look at verse 5, he says that you know, your love, your faith, we're hearing about it, we're thankful for it, this comes from your confident hope of what is reserved for you in heaven, what God is doing for you. God has a plan for you that is bigger than this world. Your hope in that, just don't forget. You could almost imagine this church struggling because now they've got all the outside pressure from the world around them, but now they've got all this doubt inside about what's real and what's not, and have they really heard the right thing, and have they believed the right truth? So he says, hey, hold on a second. First of all, just remember what you have. Like God has given you a future. Hey, here's a second encouragement. Your own life has been changed by the good news of Jesus. That's back to verse 6. You're hearing about it all over the world, but don't forget, this has happened for you. You're a new person now. So rather than doubting, rather than being afraid that you're missing something, lean into it and say, wow, thank you, Lord, for how you're changing me and my life. And then the third reminder, we go down to verses 7 and 8, and we find out that this church is known for its love. This church is—they're doing well. I mean, they're—they're they're showing the first virtue of Christian life is love. The primary commandment of Jesus for your lifestyle is love, and He says, "I'm hearing your church is doing a great job loving others." So, thumbs up, awesome. Now, here's what I'm praying for you. Here's what I'm thinking about. Didn't quite say it this way, but you might—in our terminology—might say, "Here's what I'm a little bit worried about," as I think about you. I'm worried that you might step off the track. I'm worried that you might give up all these gains. So here's the prayer that Paul was praying for them. We've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will. Remember, that's what they were after. Like they thought maybe they were missing it. No, no, I'm praying that God will give you all the knowledge you need of his will and give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then you will live the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit, which is really what, if you think about it, that's really the aim of our lives, to produce good fruit, for, to have good outcomes. It's not just about what's in our mind. It's also about what comes out. So says, hey, you're being, you're being carried off by these philosophies that say you're missing something, or if only you could unlock this door or follow this rule, now you'll, you'll achieve some higher stage of the Christian life. So says, no, no. You, We're praying that God will help you live the right way, that God will will enable you to bear fruit, and you don't need more than Jesus in order to do that. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. Anybody else need endurance and patience besides Church of Colossae? I could probably use a little bit. I'm sure you could too. It says, hey, we're praying that no matter what crazy things you're facing, God will give you that. And that in fact, it'll be more than just endurance and patience. You'll be filled with joy. That's how you face challenges. That's what we're looking for. Always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Think about What a glorious truth that is about you and about me, about the people reading this, that there, there's, not, there's not some sort of next step that you'll miss if you don't meet the right teacher. Jesus is it. Jesus is what you need. And the more that you follow him, the more you get to know him, the more you put your faith in him, the more that you'll discover he's all you needed to begin with. Right? So we can rejoice in that, and I, I wanted to just wrap up this morning by challenging you a little bit in verse 14, the final verse of this text, and what it looks like to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus. Okay, you see that? I love that word, transferred. I was thinking about, it's almost, I mean, what a neat demonstration of God's grace that, say, we're all members of the kingdom of darkness, we're all citizens of the kingdom of darkness, and God actually offers us the opportunity to transfer our membership to be in a new kingdom, to have a totally new future attached to us, a new inheritance that we get to have just by by faith and by grace. What an amazing gift that that is, that God enables us to have. So the kingdom of darkness is destined for destruction, defined by selfishness and death. That's kind of the default setting for humanity. No matter how cute we are as babies, that's where we end up. We end up in the kingdom of darkness, defined by selfishness, on the road to death, and unless something miraculous happens, that's, that's it. That's our future. That's where we'll stay. We can't sort of self-help our way out of that predicament. Right? You say, man, I, I see I'm in the kingdom of darkness. I think I'm going to listen to some new podcasts, or read a couple books. It's not going to help you. That, that doesn't transfer you from one kingdom to the other. Um, so what will help you is salvation through Jesus. What will help you is a miracle that God does to forgive your sin and literally move you from one kingdom to the other, okay? So the kingdom of Jesus is, defined, or is destined to inherit life forever. So I like to think of it that, you know, here's God's people. In the Old Testament times, that was usually thought of as the people who were Jews, um, those who were faithful to God, and then the others who would put their faith in God. Uh, they were God's people. Those people are destined for life and joy in the future. The problem is we're not one of them. We're in the kingdom of darkness. God is willing to transfer you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, so now you get to share in that destiny. You get to share in that inheritance. It's defined by freedom and love. Your daily walk as a Christian is not defined by selfishness, and it's not defined by some sort of feeble attempt to fix your own self. In fact, it's defined by freedom, animated by love. So as we dig into Colossians, we'll say, okay, what does that life look like? How will those things define me? And it's really exciting to see the difference between living for yourself and living for Christ, how much he, ch- he changes, how much your heart can transform in that process. Okay, so I wanted, to, I wanted to give you two questions to chew on and then challenge you this week to read the book of Colossians for yourself, just to kind of warm up for this series, just four chapters. And really, as we go through this, I would encourage you, have your own Bible open. Don't just rely on the church service here to be the only time you think about this. Open up to Colossians and read it for yourself and say, Lord, would you give me your wisdom from this book of what I need to know so that my life uh, can reflect your glory as well? All right, here's the two challenge questions. Have I been rescued and transferred? And if so, am I getting to know God better and better? So you look at your life and you say, you know, I understand kind of the the concept that I could be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. The issue isn't whether you understand that that's possible. Has that happened to you? Is your life now on a new track? Is your inheritance now with God's people? Have you been transformed? If so, so some people in the room I know would say, man, I I know that happened. I've seen, like in verse six, I've seen the the change of life in me. I have all sorts of evidence that God is a part of my life. Now, where am I supposed to go from here? Well, then then we look at the prayer that was prayed about this church, and we say, I want to be strengthened. I want to be on track. I, I want to know God better and better. And so the way that I think of that myself is that I should be able to look at my life today, here we are in 2022, If I was to rewind, I should be able to say, you know, a few years ago I knew God, but now I know him better. A few years ago I was living for Jesus, now I'm living for Jesus at a more, like I'm learning more about how to do this, and my life is actively advancing, it's actively growing, Uh, my faith is growing. Okay, so the first question is, have you been transferred to the new kingdom? And the second one is, are you growing in that new life? Okay, for regardless of your answer, studying this book over the next few weeks is going to help you grow in your understanding and hopefully in your life as well. All right, so let's pray and let's commit this to the Lord. Let's ask him for his wisdom. Jesus, we come to you with humility in our hearts, thanking you for your salvation, thanking you for making a road plain for us in the gospel, thanking you that we don't need anything other than you to save our souls and even to complete us, to to give us the fullness of life, the, the fullness of what it means to be your follower. Lord, you've already handed to us the power that we need and you've already started to transform our hearts. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to continue strong in our commitment to you if, if there are some in the room who have not transferred from the kingdom of darkness to your kingdom, Lord, I pray that you would make that really clear in their heart. And I pray, Lord, that today would be the day that they would transfer, that they would put their faith in you and no longer have faith in themselves. Lord, I know when that happened to me, it changed my whole trajectory. So then, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in the room those who have put their faith in you, those who've believed the gospel. Lord, we pray that we would know you better and better, that each day, each week, each year, we would be advancing in our Christian faith, that our lives would be bearing good fruit, that our knowledge of you would be growing, our understanding of you, and also our personal knowledge, just having a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and joy as we read and study this book. And I pray for our next step, that, Lord, it would be clear to us how we're to follow you. Thank you so much for all the direction in your word we look forward to studying it together in Jesus name amen all right god bless you we'll see you next week